0: I'm Emily Barney, and you're tuned in to the Backyard Pet Talk with Shannon Riley podcast.
1: Hello, Emily. It's super great to see you today. And I have to do a couple disclaimers. We're going to be talking puppy, lots and lots of puppy today. But my disclaimer to everybody who is listening is um, Emily is one of my BFFs. So we might get a little silly and playful, but she also is about ready to get a new baby puppy. She had um scooter and he was an amazing lab, but he was a little bit fearful and shy and mildly reactive. So she's trying to start fresh with a puppy that at least genetically, we're starting from a good foundation. So she's gone through um, a breeder. She looked at rescues and it just didn't work out. But now she's getting ready. Puppy's about six weeks old, right, Emily? Yep. About six weeks old. So in a couple of weeks, she's going to be bringing puppy home. We don't know if she the breeder is choosing because she's going through a breeder that specializes in breeding for service dogs. So it's going to be whoever basically isn't going to be a good service dog will go to Emily. So, you know, she's getting the leftovers, but leftovers are always good. So, um, I love leftovers. (laughs) So, um, so we are just going to right now say puppy, but we're going to hopefully be doing a couple of these podcasts and then we'll have puppy. We'll have a name and we'll know more about puppy. But right now today we are going to do a whole bunch of questions. Basically, I am getting, Emily's kind of interviewing me, which is a little different than we normally do on the podcast. I'm usually the one doing interviewing, but Emily's going to be asking me all these questions that she has about uh, preparing for a puppy, what the best steps for a puppy, and really getting ready for a puppy. Um, And so we decided, because she was asking me all these questions, and we decided to do this as a podcast. Something else I will, you know, caveat that we didn't do before because we talked about it is finding the right puppy. So things that Emily did for finding the right puppy were looking into the mother and the father. Were they, you know, good? When we were looking at rescue, we were looking at things like if they said they were shy, lacking confidence. She wasn't looking for a puppy like that. So she spent a lot of time doing research to get the right puppy for her. And every human is going to have a different right puppy. So A big thing about me is relationship with your animals or your puppies. So, if you marry the wrong person, you're going to not have a good marriage. If your best friend is really toxic, it's not going to be a good relationship. And I feel that when we choose a puppy, now sometimes we get puppies, we inherit them, we get dogs. Sometimes it doesn't, we have to just work with what we have. But if you're going into this and you have a very specific goal, what you want for a puppy, you need to do your research because not Every puppy fits every situation. So for me, when I start to look for a puppy, I'm going to need to look for one that likes and wants to do agility and is an athletic dog, but also has a calm side because I don't like dogs that are always active. I want a dog who will cuddle with me, but who also go run an agility course for me. So I have to look at genetics. I have to look at a lot of things like that, not just breed. And Emily was doing the same thing. At first, she was just kind of looking for general. We kind of decided labs were a good set. I happen to have a connection with this breeder so she was able to connect with it and it worked out. It doesn't have to be a breeder, it can be rescue, but what's important is that you find the dog that's as close as of a match of what you want. The biggest disasters that I have when I work with private clients is that their dogs aren't the right match. So, they're a runner and they get a dog with a couch potato and they're really frustrated because the dog won't run. Or they get a dog that works all the time and is always busy and they're a um introvert. And they yeah. don't want to do all the social stuff with their dog. Those are probably the most difficult cases that I work with. So if you're getting a puppy and this, and you're listening to this, cause you're either getting a puppy or you have a puppy, making sure you have the right as close as you can. No one, there's going to be nothing perfect and you're going to have to make adjustments, but this starts you off on the right foot rather than Having to adapt to what your puppy needs if it's not the right fit. So I just wanted to give that too because we should have probably done a podcast on that um, when well, we well, were planning. We're matters. gonna we're gonna start there, Shan. So
0: <laughs> so you know my my beloved Scooter, the love of my life, was a fearful dog, and you mentioned really briefly about genetics, but you know Scooter was a rescue. In fact, his mother was rescued before she even had the puppies. He was literally starved and stressed and in trauma from before he was born. And so, you know... Shannon and I met each other the day after I got Scooter because I had read a bunch of books and I knew I wanted to do positive force-free training. And I searched in my area and turns out my new bestie um, is a force-free trainer. So I, I picked up Scooter from the rescue, a little 10-week-old baby uh, on a Sunday. And then I we met Shannon on Sunday. Uh, Monday. (laughs) And (laughs) let's just set the stage that like, I'm a very dedicated, consistent trainer. And my bestie is a trainer. And we did everything we could. And Scooter was still really fearful, and occasionally reactive. And it is impossible to love a baby more than I loved Scooter. And accommodating because I loved him so completely I built a life to accommodate his needs and what that actually meant was that I had to make my life a little smaller and so when you and I you know scooter passed really unexpectedly last year and I was finally ready to start talking about getting a new baby and and what we started with was you just asking me what kind of life, what kind of life I want to have with my puppy. And, and that was a really open, connected uh, life. I want to be able to take my puppy to um, a restaurant. I want to be able to have people over at my house and not be stressed because my dog's barking at them. We started there. What kind of life do you want to have with your puppy? And, you know, you talked me through so much shame that I had about deciding to go with a breeder. Mm-hmm. And so l- let's just talk through that decision because the sh- the shame that I felt choosing a breeder because we do believe in rescues, but why that really is the best decision for me.
1: Yeah, for sure. So uh, we live in Ventura, California. So where Emily literally was looking, maybe not the whole United States, but her rescue included Colorado. It included Everything from Northern California, to from Sacramento to San Diego at first. I'm not as involved in rescues like I used to be. I used to foster all the time, but with my kids, it got too busy. But I still have connections in it. And we were looking and we were finding things and puppies would come up and we would sometimes just by looking at the picture, I'm like, look at that puppy. All the fear signs are there or their description. So we really like scrutinized, I don't know, lots and lots of, you probably looked at hundreds. Applied I- at
0: five or six rescues. Yes. Like
1: and- hundreds of dogs
0: is not an overstatement.
1: Yes. And then applied to all these different rescues. And if anything, not that it really matters, but Emily is like, she's a single woman who works basically from home, has her own business, is the most dedicated dog owner, you know, that I know she's done all these classes. She does, she did puppy class with me. She did agility. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better dog owner. And even people from her agility class that she knew, <laughs> I told them that she was looking for a rescue and that she keeps getting denied. And they, I'm like, I, they said, what are they looking for? A unicorn? Because that's essentially what they were looking for. So she kept getting turned down for all kinds of reasons. I mean, her landlord's on board, everybody's on board, but rescues weren't. And then we found one puppy locally that we thought was going to be a good match. She went through all the things. They did all the things. And then they never even got back to her. So... That dog's not on the website anymore. So we assume we got adopted and I used to work in rescues and rescues aren't are great, but there's all volunteers. It's really mismatched. And the problem is, is rescues want puppies to be adopted. So they aren't always honest about their demeanor. And because with Emily, she's not just looking for any old dog. She has a very specific need and a want not to service dog level, but she wants a really good, stable, mentally stable dog. So we had done all the research and then finally it was getting frustrating. She was ready to have a puppy and it wasn't urgent. It didn't have to be yesterday, but it within the next I six was, months, I'm ready. I am yes. ready. I have so much love to give
0: to yeah. a new baby. Well, yeah, exactly. And, and, Shanna, I don't know if you remember this, but before I got Scooter, when I was envisioning my life with a puppy, it was actually to do therapy with a dog. I, I want so badly to take a dog into schools or, or to go to colleges or whatever. Like that was my vision for scooter, but we learned that's, that wasn't the right job
1: for him. Exactly For him. Exactly. I started reaching out to my trainer friends. I have a trainer friend who does service work. Actually you guys have heard her podcast. Casey Nash is on there. So I reached out to other trainer friends all over that I knew. And I said, Hey, I'm looking for this. And, and we may end up with a breeder. I was also asking for rescue. So I started getting some of these leads. And then this one lead came from Casey and I her dogs came from there. So it was a good place to start that we knew as much as possible. I mean, life happens. The world can, some things can are unpredictable, but as far as much as we could control, this puppy was becoming from a good mom and dad. Good. We we've seen video of the socialization and, and the exposure of new things. The puppies play independently, but together also so as far as we know, we're starting off with the best foundation and we can.
0: Well, and also Scooter was very unhealthy. He had health. Scooter <laughs> had a dermatologist, my friends. I, <laughs> I spent so an astounding amount of money to keep Scooter as healthy as possible. Mm-hmm. And so again, when we're taking a step back and thinking about what kind of life I want to have with my puppy, I'm like, I That's- did... I already did 10 years of the tough dog and I loved every second of it and I miss him desperately, but I spent so much money keeping him healthy and I made my life small. The other reason we decided that a dog from a reputable breeder was the right choice for me because Mm -hmm. I did 10 really hard years and I'm ready and, and I need for my next dog a different experience and, and you
1: also with the health bringing up health I mean rescues can be healthy mixed breeds can course, be healthy absolutely. like there's no problem with that but going into this, you know these breeders have checked their eyes checked their hearts genetically they're less likely to get the no the, the a lot of things that might be a genetic predisposition
0: and I just signed my puppy contract and it has in there like the the lineage and the health screenings that both mom and dad have passed and there is a health guarantee and like you can't totally guarantee it but it's like they the reason a reason to go with a reputable breeder and we're going to keep using that word reputable exactly exactly because they they follow the puppies and they make sure that the matches that they are making are good matches that are leading to puppies with the traits that they are specifically breeding for. And this is a a service dog uh, breeder. So it's temperament, health, and then they use the word biddable. Mm -hmm. So
1: someone who who wants to work. And Exactly. And that was exactly what I was looking for. So it's such a thing because and I want to just emphasize one thing you said, reputable breeder. We're not you. going to a backyard breeder. We're not going to somebody who's like, "Oh, I have two labs and I'm just going to breed them and see how it goes." This is somebody who's actually trying to improve the breed to qual like not just make a quick buck, but actually Cares about the breed, cares about everything about it. So that is another piece that I just wanted to like say, because we're not talking about somebody you get out of, you know, Craigslist. We're not talking, they don't advertise in those kinds of places. I mean, these dogs, a lot of the way you know about them is because you know somebody who knows them. I mean, they have the picture on Facebook, but they're not saying looking for a home or anything like that. They know they're going to find homes for these dogs. All the
0: puppies are spoken for. Exactly. So So I, again, felt so grateful that I have you as a bestie because there are so many backyard breeders, puppy mills, right? But they call themselves, they have all, they look like they're reputable. And so if someone doesn't have you as a bestie who has all these like deep connections, um, So we know for sure, like we, we know that this is a reputable breeder. So what, what are some signs that you look for that either say yes or no? What are some indicators of like, this is for sure a reputable breeder or no way, keep on moving.
1: If a breeder, one of my biggest red flags, and this is where I usually, one of the first questions that I figure out, we have a problem is um, you weren't allowed to see mom or dad you know you weren't allowed to go see mom or dad or they don't have mom or dad or or they won't let you go to the property to pick up the puppy or meet the puppies ahead of time or anything like that they um block off access to mom and her dad or they let you come to the property and you're still not allowed to meet mom or dad or you get to meet mom and dad and they've got major behavior problems like barking you know at you and they're like crazy you know that's one of the things I'm looking for is mom and dad because a good breeder like this particular breeder doesn't have mom and dad on premises all the time but has mom but you can see dad and you know go through and it's not nothing's hidden, everything's out in the open I also like breeders who have done vet checks so if if they're a purebred as a vet tech myself I know that vet checks are really important so if they haven't done things like every breed is going to be different. So like golden retrievers and labs, you need to check their hearts because there can be heart conditions that are genetic. You need to check their eyes. Every breed might have a specific thing, but I want to have mom and dad should have been checked. Also, you should have a lineage of like how puppies are so you could follow the puppies. Like you said, I mean, reputable breeders. One person that I've learned this great from and, and probably has lots of information on breeders is Patricia McConnell. You don't know. She's a, a animal behaviorist and she's amazing and she's written a lot of books but one of the things she used to do i think she's retired from it now but she used to breed border collies and when she would breed a border collie and this she talked about this 20 something years ago is she knew mom and dad obviously and she followed the puppies and the puppies were always allowed to come back to her no matter what 10 years seven years and if there was ever a health problem or behavior problem she wanted to know about it as soon as it happened, because then she would track it back to which parents were, which were the dog parents. And she would not breed those dog parents again. If she isolated it and found out it was mom, then she wouldn't breed mom ever again. She would spay mom, done. If she found out it was dad, she would neuter her dad and, and, and it would be done. She followed the lives of these puppies and proactively made sure that the line stayed as healthy as possible. I remember hearing her speak about that probably over 20 years ago and she's, and, but that is what a reputable breeder does is they're really invested. They want to have communications with you. They should be answering your emails. They should be sending you pictures and videos, especially if they're not local. And I'm always cautious of people who, when they get dogs from across the country and they didn't go, you know visit. If the video is always in the same spot, or like I have one friend who got a, a golden retriever from Maine and the puppy had been at another home and then came back to her home. Well, a couple red flags happened there. She had a puppy picked out for her and puppy died because it ate something like part of its bed and it got impacted and it died. So then they said, okay, your puppy died. So you don't have a puppy. It's very sad. Another puppy from that litter had flown to a home that had kids. And two hours or two weeks later, they returned it. They said, oh, great. We have a puppy. Of course, my friend wanted a puppy so bad. Oh, I'll take it. Not thinking, why did this puppy get returned? Then puppy flies from Maine to San Francisco. Puppy is freaked out from being on the plane. Puppy had been supposedly trained by the breeder. I watched video of the training. It was always in the same like barn you know, not exposed to anything new. Yeah, puppies looked like they were well-trained, but their environment never changed. So it wasn't not very good video, but my friend didn't know that. She was just in love with puppy. So puppy comes, f- puppy diarrhea when she gets off the plane, is panicked off the plane. I ended up, they live in Northern California. So I ended up going up there a couple months or like a month later because I couldn't, I didn't, if this all was happening and I couldn't get up there. And puppy was a fearful puppy from the beginning. Unfortunately, she found a trainer up there because I didn't live up there. So she was working with somebody who put pinch collar choke chains on it. And I'm like, okay, now you just made it worse. Ended up getting to spend 10 days with her once. I did pet sitting and I did training and I tried taking her to new places and she was about two or three then. This puppy is sweet. And if it's her routine, she's okay. Anything outside of her routine is, is hard. All those red flags were happening. And something that, and I told this to Emily when she got it, if we ever saw a red flag, you know, even though you put that five hundred dollars deposit on, if you see a big red flag, you pull out because it's a lifetime of pain. It's a commitment. Yes, it's a lifetime of problems if this isn't. Legitimate. So, doing your homework, if you can talk to people who have the puppies from the breeder, I mean, breeders should be really open. If they're at all secretive, won't let you see it, won't let you meet anything, that's a huge red flag for me. That's a red flag for me with rescues, too. I had a brand new client yesterday. A dog came up from Mexico. They called her and called her on Sunday and said, I have a puppy for you. I'm bringing it up from Mexico tomorrow. Dog drove five hours or whatever. The next day, she drove to pick it up, but sign here, take the dog. Dog is very terrified. And I was like, well, see, I know me. I would have been like, nope, not the right dog. And I would have left. But I am 0.01% of the population who could do that. 99.9% of the population gets like my client was, oh my God, I have to save the puppy anyway. I've already fallen in love. Anytime people are secretive, anytime they're not really looking out for the best interests of the puppy, there's probably going to be a problem down the road. You know, you can still get great puppies sometimes from these situations. I mean, I'm not saying that that can't happen, but it's also looking at everything, the environment they grew up in, you know? And so that's how you look for good breeder. Some of it's intuition, but some of it's just looking around. We're in this
0: conversation of how do you find a breeder? Is a puppy contract something, is that like a sign that would lean you more towards reputable breeder?
1: Not necessarily a, a of- that rescue okay. person, she signed something and it said, you know, I mean, she said it had like three things. And if, if you don't want the dog anymore, bring it back to the rescue because anybody can write a contract and they can say anything and they can say, you know, return to here or do it. Sometimes contracts are actually, I don't like contracts because sometimes I have a breeder who says you have to feed X food. And a lot of times it's a triangle kind of situation. They get kickback from you buying this food that gets delivered to your house. Seen that a ton. Really? You have to feed your puppy this food or it's not covered by our contract. And sometimes people bring the food and I'm like, this is the crappiest food you could be feeding, but they get a kickback from it. So that's why you feed it. And I will sometimes recommend my clients just break the contract. What are you going to do? You're not going to return it anyway. So just break the contract. Same thing with spaying and neutering. Sometimes they will say, you're not allowed to spay or neuter this dog till X age or, or ever. I mean, it's one thing if you have breeding rights, like if you have gone into this contract and said, I'm going to raise this, you can, I'll breed with you. That's a different kind of contract, but this is just pet ownership contract. Mm. If they dictate when you should spay or neuter it, when you should do any medical advice, they're breeders. They are not veterinarians. They are not medical professionals. And I have had dogs who sometimes spaying and neutering right now is a big controversial thing of what age, you know, and I look at it more as an individual. What is this individual doing? So if this individual is showing me behaviors that could be because they were intact, then we might say, let's neuter this dog earlier or younger, you know, because there's still a lot of science that we don't know about the perfect age of spaying and neutering, but no breeder is going to be able to like a breeder who tells you, you have to wait until like a female after their first heat, well, that's contraindicated because that could increase their chance of cancer, but it's because they read one study that isn't very good because there's no really good studies out right now. So it's when they try to control what happens when you get home and it's medical, I have, can't tell you how many clients I've said, just break with the food, just break the contract. Like that, what are they going to know? They're not going to know, except they're going to know because they're not getting their check from you. Because you're not, you know, they're not getting the kickback. That is one of the things with contracts, you have to, have to be careful because sometimes they're too controlling.
0: Yeah. And is it? Common, again, differentiating, we're looking for red flags and green flags with breeders. What about putting down a deposit? Is that a red flag or a green flag?
1: That could go either way because if you have a reputable breeder, they want you to make sure that you're going to get the puppy and they want to make sure that they have a home for that puppy, you know, and they don't want it to be because people are flaky. And especially if they have a wait list and especially if they have a lot of people who want it. So it could be okay, but it can also be a red flag because sometimes bad breeders will say, give me a deposit. And then you never see the deposit or the puppy. They can just go away because people are crazy, you know, and they'll do things where you put this deposit down. They can be showing you pictures of puppies. They might not even have puppies. Maybe they're old pictures. So you have to be careful (laughs) of that. That's where, that is where talking to people If you, if the breeder lets you talk to people that they've sold to, adopted to, that's why in this situation, I'm not worried about any of these things because of who recommended them. And so that's where, if you find like a a trainer who's like, you know, positive, you start talking to veterinarians as a vet tech, when I was working as a vet tech, there were, there was a golden retriever breeder local to us in Napa. And, you know, people would ask about those puppies and, you know, and they all came in. So I knew like I, and I had been at the place I'd been at the breeder's house. I knew how the puppies were. Yeah. They were all out in like dirt, but they were like the happiest, healthiest, you know, and they did Mm -hmm. all the heart stuff and they did all the things. So talking to your vet about it, talking to their vet, you know, if they're really open and you're concerned and you don't have like some backup, you could say, can I talk to your vet about sometimes vets don't want to be bothered, but if they say no, then you should go, wait a minute. Why wouldn't you want me to talk to the vet? But if they say, oh sure. The vet may not talk to you. The vet may not have time but at least they're open to giving you that information.
0: So what I've heard is there are lots of red flags and green flags when you're seeking out a, again, reputable keyword Uh breeder. And what I kept hearing was transparency, transparency, transparency. The green flags that we really need to be looking for are they're you know they're willing to talk to you they're willing to give you referrals you go to the puppy you pick up the puppy where the puppy is i hear so many stories of people were like oh i bought i spent a gazillion dollars on this dog and then they drove it to me and i'm like oh no they they send you pictures of pictures and videos regularly of the puppies and what you're looking for in the videos is that they have, you see them in different locations, you see them with different toys, you maybe see them interacting with different people, but it really is transparency.
1: That's our biggest green flag. Yes. And the other thing, just to mention, if you do get one from another state, you know, and maybe you have family there that's seen it or whatever, you know, and they're going to fly them. If they're going to fly them, they should fly them and pay for a cabin. You know, they should not be under. That's also what happened to my friend's dog is it flew by itself and it was in cargo. And cargo is loud. It is scary. It is cold or hot. It's not temperature regulated. Some dogs die in cargo. I mean, it's not unheard of for a dog to die in cargo. Yeah. You don't want your puppy to start their life off being there. So if it's a reputable breeder, sometimes they have puppy companion people who literally just fly with the puppy. You pay more, you know, and you drop off the puppy with person at airport. Like you meet face to face. Here's your puppy. Then they get back on the plane and go back to where they came from. Okay. I'm...
0: Quitting my company and I'm doing that
1: (laughs) job. So there are, you know, uh, people who do that too because you don't want them in the cargo, you know. And there is somebody I know who, um, he's a pilot and that's as, as a hobby, but he's also a techie guy and he will fly puppies for rescues around like on the weekends. And so, like, if you had something like that, you know. But that doesn't happen very often. And he's on the East Coast. So he does more on the East Coast. But it, there are things that you can do that are, you know, keep them from, you know, being there. But but for the general purpose, you should be going to the breeder. And and even if that means you have to drive to a different state, you know, then go pick them up and, and bring them Well, on.
0: And since we're just talking about picking up puppy now. So we live in Ventura, the puppy's up in Sacramento. It's a six hour drive, right? Not crazy, but it's like a 45 minute flight, right? And so yes. I, they said, you can come pick it up at our house where the, where they breed the puppies, or we'll meet you at the Sacramento airport. And you and I talked about it and I really wanted to fly up there. Cause it's just like, bam, bam, up and back mm-hmm. in a, in a day, like super easy peasy. And you said to me that you would drive multiple States away. Like if if you would, you would suggest to me if I got a puppy in Colorado to drive and get that puppy versus Mm -hmm. flying, even, even though I would have had puppy with me in the cabin of the airplane, you, you said airports are loud. Like that's just not, you don't want to put puppy in that environment
1: first thing. No, because they could get what we call flooded. And that's just where all there's too much stimulation, too much scary stuff all happening at once. And you may not see the results of it in the moment, but days or weeks or months later, the puppy may be scared of stuff. And it could be because they got too stimulated. Now I know I have some really good trainer friends and colleagues like one that flew to Hawaii, obviously you're going to fly to Hawaii. You have no other option, you know, but what she did is she went to Hawaii. She stayed in Hawaii for like a week or so trained the, and she's a really skilled trainer and, and behavior tech and stuff. So she's really no, she took her this very seriously, stayed in Hawaii. Darn it. Had to stay in Hawaii, but you know, but she taught the puppy and she did video. Like she taught the puppy how to be, because the puppy hadn't spent that much time in a travel crate and she had the actual crate, They did stuff, you know, let the puppy be, uh, get a little more used to it, not just fly up to Sacramento, you know, fly back, but it was fly, stay in the hotel, get accommodated. Yes. That's all going to be scary, different changes, but she was training the puppy to be able to be comfortable in the little soft travel carrier that she had that she essentially, once they took off, could put in her lap, you know, it had, he had to be under the seat when they took off and landed, but then she could put it just like you would a computer in your lap. And she could pet the puppy and she had to keep him in the bag, but it was a bag. It wasn't hard plastic, but she took all that time. So if you drive, whether you stay the night or not, if you decided to do a 12 hour drive, you know, that's one thing, but you can stop. You can let the potty, you know, puppy like stretch its legs. Um, You know, you can, you know, let it have water and food and, you know, all the things it needs get its needs met. And it's not loud airport. It's not a thousand people. It's not a thousand smells. It's not all this other commotion. Airports can be overwhelming for humans. You know, if you don't travel a lot, an airport is very overwhelming. So you have to think in perspective of the puppy is overwhelmed too. So let's talk now about how to bring puppy home safely. So, so
0: I'm going to drive up to Sacramento right and it's a six hour drive so I'm gonna probably go up the night before stay in a hotel and then pick puppy up in the morning and come home so what do I need to bring with me what does like literally bringing puppy home and I and
1: that's I think a good way of doing it is going up the night before if you can you know I mean if you couldn't and you had to do it all in one day but that's better than having the puppy have to stay in the hotel for the night like just get the puppy home so we can start living normal life as soon as possible in in this scenario so Things you would need is you can bring some kind of carrier crate, especially whether, even if you go with somebody, sometimes they just want to sleep. You know, they might not want to sit in your lap. They might be too wiggly. It can be a soft crate or it can be a hard crate in car crate. You know, it doesn't matter. Something so that they're safe and they're not wiggling around. Talk to the breeder and find out what kind of food they're feeding. So you're feeding the same food at the beginning. You can always change food. Like I'm not saying you have to use what breeders doing, but doing an extreme change is, is, is a little stressful. So find out what food. So you have the food with you. Have a little travel water bowl. And in this case, for traveling purposes, you may have some little potty pads, you know, if you need it. I don't want you training on potty pads if you don't want to do that in your lifetime. Some people have situations where they train on potty pads, but in this situation, there won't be potty pads, but you might take a couple just in case because it could take six hours, but that's no stopping, you know, and puppy's probably going to need to stop every two hours to try to go potty, if not more, you know. Sometimes they'll sleep the whole time. You also might be stopping at rest stops and places that aren't necessarily clean. And the biggest concern medically would be Parvo. And that we wouldn't want a puppy to pick up Parvo on the way home. So something you can bring, and I have done this with puppies before, is I take like a sheet or a blanket that you don't really care if they pee on. It's just to put on, like when you stop at a rest stop, you put the blanket down. You could put the potty pad on top of that. So they can walk around a little bit but they're not touching the ground because the way parvo is contracted is called fecal oral that's the fancy word fecal oral meaning somehow poop gets in the mouth but it doesn't have to be like they step in poop and lick their paw it could be that they step on grass that had poop that had parvo on it up to a year ago because parvo is really um, durable and so they step on this piece blade of grass and they lick their paw or they're curious and they lick the blade of grass that you know, had this on there. So by putting a sheet down or a blanket, cause you're not going to be walking all around rest areas. You're just letting them get out, putting the potty pad down. If the breeder has trained them to use some breeders use like shavings and stuff like, or AstroTurf, you could bring a, a piece of AstroTurf instead of a potty pad, or you could bring a little litter box that has the substrate that they've been trained on. So some do like little pellets, you know, that they put or AstroTurf. You could bring that too, because then texturally the puppy will go, oh, I always pee on AstroTurf. So when they step on it, they know that's a a potty place.
0: I want to just say for the record, these are actually my actual questions that I'm actually (laughs) concerned about. And thank God my bestie has the answers. So just let's take a step back. These are, I will be doing all of these things. I will be (laughs) like... That I am that crazy person (laughs) who will bring. Well, you need
1: to do it because you want to make sure. Otherwise, how do you get puppy out? You know, on a long drive. You know, how do you get them to without worrying about all that stuff?
0: And and we we started this conversation about you know this is a a lifelong commitment, right? We're we're hoping that I'm going to share my life for 15 years with this puppy. So. On the first day of my baby, why wouldn't I? Like, of course, I'm. people think I'm a crazy dog lady. And I'm like, well, but why wouldn't I do all these things? Because my goal is to have this baby in my life. I I have a whole set of Parvo questions that we'll cover later because I have a lot of questions. Where we live, Parvo is really serious. It is really rampant where we live. And so I was talking to my mom about how I got a little puppy backpack so I can Mm -hmm. prance around with my new baby and she like kind of jabbed at me a little bit and because where she lives it's not quite as rampant like I really appreciate this idea of literally the six hour drive home puppy must go to the bathroom somehow right once once we get puppy home then I can keep them safe in in my yard and other safe places but at a rest stop. That's not a safe place. Yes. And so putting down a blanket or a towel or again talking with the breeder, transparency about yeah. what that material might it is about. that they've
1: been using. Exactly. And then also when you're at the rest stops, you know, you're going to have a cute puppy, but you might have a lot of people because people go, "Oh, puppy, puppy." It's okay if like one or two people want to come over and pet puppy. Like that's not going to be the biggest deal. But if you see a family of like 10 kids running around crazy at a rest stop, drive like go to a different part of the rest stop wait till they leave try to avoid ambushing puppy because you have to think about puppy's perspective they just got pulled from the litter their thank mom, you this, and this is the first time they're oh, probably away from mom and and their family so they're and all the right. house the only house they've ever known some puppies are born more resilient and these pup- your puppy will probably be on that resilient side because of what they've bred but some puppies are like terrified of everything so a big puppy party is not a good idea. You know, you don't want to have every friend waiting for you at your house, like a surprise party. That's going to be really overwhelming. So, but with the Parvo, that is something like having front pouches. I have one client who used to pull her dog or puppy in a wagon. That way they still get a chance to go out in the world and socialize, but they're being safe. Places that are safer or like, like if you live in a gated community and it, you can only go into it, the likeliness of those dogs carrying parvo is low, you know, because it's through the feces, but it can stay on a sidewalk for a year, you know, because sure. only thing that kills it is parvicide, So special chemicals that kill parvo or bleach, like that is all, it's a pretty resilient little bug. So I always tell my clients, don't go to downtown Ventura because Ventura has a lot of homeless people who have dogs and they take care of their dogs, but they may not be fully vaccinated. And sometimes they can be shedding that because they their immune system has made it so they're not sick from it, but we don't want it to be spreading. And the biggest thing about Parvo that I like to also tell people, and I had one vet say this to one of my clients and I loved it. So yes, parvo is dangerous. Why puppies die of parvo is usually dehydration because they have severe vomiting and diarrhea. Sometimes they'll go into cardiac arrest because of the dehydration. So it's dehydration. That's the biggest problem. Um, So when you take it to a hospital, they have to be hydrated and monitored, but everyone in the hospital has to wear contamination gear because yeah, a puppy has to be put in isolation. And usually there's like one tech that goes in and you have to wear boots and gloves and gowns that are disposable or washable and bleach. And it's a thing in a vet hospital um, when a dog's in isolation with something that's contagious to the others. So the fee is really high for a, a puppy that has Parvo. So you want to keep them away from Parvo if you can, but it is treatable. But what a vet told one of my clients once, Parvo is treatable. We don't want it, but it's treatable. But an aggressive dog could be euthanized at a year if it's not socialized correctly. So that's why it's so important to take them out and do the things and be out there and do all the things, but don't put them at risk like where you don't need to. So, you know, you're not going to go to a place with parks, you know, no downtown. If you went downtown, you have them in the little front pouch, but you only stay for an hour or so because you have to remember that puppy has to go potty and you don't want to like have to put them on the ground.
0: When you're, yeah, when you're timing your outings, you need to make sure that it will be contained within the potty schedule
1: exactly so you know and all of those you know and then when you bring your puppy home like i said don't have a big party don't have you know it's just you maybe you can have people come over one at a time but don't have 25 people over don't have all the kids in the neighborhood come over because it takes a little time for them to adjust they can be in your backyard because You know, Scooter was vaccinated. Nobody, you know, it's been fine. You don't have a lot of dogs. So they can be in there. They're going to get used to your house. You're going to create a routine right away, a sleep routine and a feeding routine because that helps with potty training and having a place. So like you've done is start to prep putting, having them in a crate next to your bed so that they have a place, a safe place to sleep. There are some people who really are adamant against crates. I think all dogs should know how to be in a crate for a variety of reasons. In Ventura, we had the Thomas fire a few years back and the dogs I saw after that were traumatized because they had been crated and they weren't used to being in a crate. So then they were in a new place, they were evacuated. So even if you don't think you want to do crate training for the rest of your life, which, you know, that if your puppy's fine, But for potty training purposes and exposure purposes and making sure they don't eat poisonous things or get into trouble in your house and maintaining that, think of the crate more as a crib, not as a cage. It's more Mm -hmm. like this is their bed and this is where they're going to sleep so they don't get into trouble. They don't hurt themselves. And starting them as puppies where they're used to the crate when they have to get spayed or neutered or if they have to go to the vet or you have an emergency, they don't look at the crate like it's a punishment place. They're just like, they sleep in it. My dogs have, I still have two crates. My dogs are 11 and 14 and the crates are still next to my bed and they go into it when they want. You know, my lab tends to love his crate more than my Jack Russell, but if she has a chew toy that she doesn't want, her brother to have, she's in that crate, you know, because then he's going to leave her alone, even though they don't have any problems. So having their own space, I think is really um, important, you know, so that they have that and creating that early on helps them, you know, and having that prepared. So when like you come home, you've already got the food, you've already got a place for them to sleep. You know what your, you know, potty substrate is going to be and what you're going to do. And, and you have a plan, No plan is perfect and you know, things change, but you have a plan. So when you get home and you're all excited, you're not running around to the pet stores trying to get everything. And you don't have to have all the fanciest, you know, nicest things. Your dog, your puppy isn't going to care if it's a fancy dog bed in the crate. As a matter of fact, you might want to use rags because they might chew up the fancy new bed at first. So you'll have spent all this money on a fancy new bed and they chew it up. So they can have blankets or they can have towel. I use I use rag towels a lot because then if they destroy them, it doesn't matter. I just throw it away, you know, that you want to find things that are safe for them too. My lab to this day, he's 14. I can't put anything in there because even like a year ago, I was like, oh, I'm going to get him this orthopedic bed. So when he's in there, dog chewed the corner, you know, I mean, he just like, it's he, I, for whatever reason, cause he digs at it too much. And he spends most of the time on my bed anyway. So it didn't really matter, but I just don't have a bed in there. Now my Jack Russell has the same bed. She is 11. I think she's had the same bed her whole life in her crate because I just wash it. She doesn't do anything about it. So every dog, that's another thing you need to remember is your puppy's going to be unique. Your puppy's going to be an individual. You're going to have to go with the flow. You you can't expect your puppy to be like the last dog or the la- you know, or every other dog you've had. Because they need that unique individual and planning. I think the biggest thing we can take away from this, you know, particular podcast is transparency and stuff, but planning, don't be impulsive. I think one thing I probably told you the first thing you told me you were ready for puppy. I'm like, okay, because Emily, you know, wants something and she's ready. Like she's a jump in and just go. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I get it. But don't be impulsive with choosing your puppy because emotional purchases of puppies don't usually go well if you have not planned, And those dogs get rehomed a lot of the time or go to the shelter or whatever, because people don't think about the commitment they're taking. A new puppy is going to need you to let them out to go potty multiple times during the day. They can't sit at home alone all day, you know, for eight hours. Even if, if you have them in a big pen, now they're learning to go potty in that pen. They're not You know, I have clients who will like, oh, I'm leaving my dog outside. Then they come in the house and they go potty at night. I'm like, well, all day long, they just go where they are. Right. So then when they come home, they go in the house, they go where they are. They don't understand there's a differentiation between in the house and going outside because you haven't spent the time to teach them that. Yeah. I think that's a big, you know, overall thing is planning, research. I want to close out with
0: this list of things that I'm going to bring with me when I go to pick up puppy. So we talked about a crate. We talked about making a plan for how puppy is going to go to the bathroom when we're coming home. We talked about water because I do all my research, right? <laughs> so when I went to pick up Scooter um from San Diego, I made a Kong for him so that mm-hmm. he would, you know, have something to do, but he didn't eat his Kong on the way home. And so A, what I learned is he had to learn how to use a Kong and he didn't know how to do that. A so like in hindsight, or if you're gonna do it, you know, I like packed the Kong where really you're laughing at me. Um <laughs> where he couldn't he didn't know how to do that. And a packed Kong is hard. Like you pack a Kong for a reason. And so If I were to do a Kong again, I would want to like put peanut butter on it or like just do a smear. Super easy.
1: Yeah. Super easy that they could just lick if they wanted, you know, but what I was going to say and is actually, I'm glad you brought this up because I, you guys don't know this, but we had watched a video of the puppies playing before we got on our podcast, which we're going to ask the breeder if we can share some of those videos. So hopefully you'll get to see these puppies. If you notice some of those puppies were all playing with various toys, something you can ask the breeder too is like. Do they like Nyla bones? Do they like Denta bones? Do they like greenies? Do they like stuffed Kongs? Is there a toy that is a chew toy or a lick toy that they've exposed to? They, and it's not a red flag if they haven't. I mean, because it's a group of puppies. So sometimes giving food toys is not always ideal when you have, you know, six or seven puppies because they all might want them or whatever. But that's one question you can ask them because if they've been crating them separate... Sure they may have been giving a stepped Kong or a Nylabone or something when they get crated separately. That's another thing that's beneficial. If a breeder does that, that helps you out so much. If they've learned crate training at least some to some degree before, because what I did when I had puppies, because I rescued, I had a litter, captain's litter was born at my house and I had all the puppies with mom. And then when I was trained, when they were weaning off of mom and mom kind of needed a break, I put puppies at first in big kennels, but two by two. So I had two puppies because I had six puppies. Mm -hmm. So I had three kennels that were pretty big size for them. And so when they first slept in crates, they weren't alone. They were together. And then when I wanted to teach them to be together, as they were getting closer to adoption, I put them individual crates, but I had them in this bathroom. I couldn't move anywhere, but they were all facing each other. So they could still like see each other, but they were separated. And then none of them had problems with crates because of, I went slow, but I, probably, and this was 14 years ago, so I don't remember, but I probably gave them all like, cause it's just what I do, a Kong or something in there. So like- peanut butter, canned dog food if that's what they're used Mm -hmm. to eating if you get sometimes they're soaking their kibble so you can put soaked kibble in there something that's familiar and they may not eat in the car they may not eat the first drive because it's scary you don't have to give like bring a bowl of food because for six for six hours because that's okay if they don't eat for six hours you know and you don't want them to vomit if they get car sick or something but if they want to lick a just yeah, don't make it stuffed. You got to start easy and uh, well. And I was looking to. I've never used a lick pad. They are newer. They didn't. Did they didn't have them when Scooter was a baby. But licky mats are can be really great. And then you just smear something, cream cheese, peanut butter, peanut butter, baby food, baby turkey, baby food. You know whatever on this, and then they lick it. And there's little ridges that. They lick, and so um, you can try that. It's a little harder in a smaller crate, just because of the size of it, you know. And you don't right. want them laying on it. Kong's a little easier in a crate, but licky mats, kibble, nibble balls, Kong wobblers. When you get them home, I like all my puppies to eat from food toys rather than bowls because it gives them mental stimulation, makes them play independently. There's a lot of benefits to that, which we can talk about more when we get on. Oh, it's our- on the list. <laughs> so no, but I think that's good prep, and make sure you have like a blanket or something so they can walk around, um, you know, when you stop to go to the bathroom and stuff. And if puppy's sleeping in your drive home and you don't have to use the bathroom, then you don't have to stop every two hours. But be prepared. Kind of like when I was potty training my children, driving from Ventura to Napa, I had a potty chair in my back of my car because I didn't always get to stop at a bathroom. And I just would stop at an exit. It didn't have to because I had a potty chair for my kids. Just like for a puppy, it doesn't have to be a rest stop. It doesn't have to be a special exit going up and down where you're going to be going. There are going to be lots of exits where there's houses like in far away, but you just have to stop on the side of the road. Just put all your stuff down. But if puppy's sleeping, like don't wake a sleeping puppy kind of thing, you know? So if it's been two hours, you don't have to stop. They don't have to stop. Keep driving. But maybe you're going to be stopping in 30 minutes. Maybe you're going to be stopping in an hour. When puppy starts to get restless.
0: We have been talking for an hour and we haven't even gotten puppy home. So I have one last question for you. Okay. um, To close out this first edition. Yes. Uh, Of the Emily Shannon puppy adventure. (laughs) So we're going to bring puppy home in a crate. Should puppy be in the front seat, back seat? I have an SUV. Should puppy be all the way in the
1: backity back of the car? If you have somebody with you, you know, the puppy can be in the back seat. Like you don't have to have it next to you. Like, you know, sometimes when I came home with my babies, I sat in the back seat next to them in the car seat. Yeah. There's no necessary for that. You know, I mean, it was just because you're a new mom and that's just what you do. So if you are driving by yourself, say you end up because we don't know, I may be going. We'll just it's just there's life happening. So but if you go by yourself, then puppy can be in the front seat. It's fine. If you have somebody, they can be in the back seat. There's really no reason they have to be in the very back of the SUV at this point because they're not big down the road. That's probably that's a good place for them to go down the road. It's safer, you know, sometimes. But in this situation they can be in the back seat or the front seat depending on if you have people with you or not
0: room and do i need to like secure the crate to the car like do i need to i can
1: like I to go? when i have crates like um depending on what size crates i have sometimes they're just jammed in between you know things but you can always loop the seat belt right around like a strap if they have a, a strap on the top of the crate and you can loop the seat belt in That just helps you if you have to stop fast or anything in the crate, they're going to be safer, but you don't want it, the crate flying if you have to stop fast. So it's not a bad idea to just strap it in so that it doesn't move down the road. They can get seatbelts and stuff, but that's way too much for a brand new puppy to have to deal with. Thank you so much for being my guest and, and anybody who's listening, obviously we're going to have lots more because now you see why we're doing this is there's lots of puppy questions. And there's lots of planning. And if it's been a while since you have a puppy or you've never had a puppy before, we're hoping to be able to help you. And this will all come up on our untrulyforcefree.com. So we'll have it and we'll keep publishing more puppy podcasts. So um, thank you so much, Emily. And um, we will be talking again soon.